Breaking news coming from the NFL today, as Carl Nassib has come out as openly gay. This marks him as the first openly gay active NFL player. Voices of the league have taken to Twitter to show their support. Former Patriots wideout Julian Edelman tweeted, Awesome moment. Spreading the love to the at Trevor project. Very classy move. J.J. Watt added, Good for you, Carl. Glad you feel comfortable enough to share, and hopefully someday, these types of announcements will no longer be considered breaking news. And former teammate at Penn State, Saquon Barkley, tweeted, Much respect, brudda. On the other side of the aisle, we have quotes from the conservative app Parler. Tim Tebow inserted, Leviticus 18.22. Former quarterback of Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield, posted, He always was handy at the bottom of those piles! Exclamation point. And the already problematic Ricky Incognito simply commented, Ew. Jokes aside for a moment, the Trevor Project is a suicide prevention tool that works with the youth of the LGBT community. It seems to be a wonderful program, and if any of you would like to learn more about it or choose to donate to their cause, uh, the website is thetrevorproject.org. Again, that is thetrevorproject.org. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time once again. You're here with Logan Carpenter and, of course, Matthew Billingsley on another episode of Against the Mob podcast. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about the tools that government uses, specifically fear in drawing away from our freedoms and expanding its own power. Uh, and we've brought on a special guest today and Dunk Limpman, who I've been practicing very hard to say for you guys so that I wouldn't <laughs> screw it up. Uh, and he is host of Break the State podcast, which... Uh, if you've listened to any episodes of us and you hear the title Break the State, you got to know we're already a fan of this guy. Uh, we can't wait to get into this discussion with him today, and we're happy to have you here today, Dunk. Appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us. Before we get going, guys, I do want to thank our sponsor, Lorenzotti Coffee. You guys know him. Go get a cup of freedom in your uh, morning cup of coffee every single day. It's how Logan and I start our day with a little bit of Italian anarchy. They source their beans over there and they deliver it right to your front door. So use the promo code ATM10 to get some coffee delivered right to your front door. Again, that's Lorenzotti.coffee. Cool. Well, Dunk, thank you very much again for hopping on with us. We're really pumped about uh, this episode. So to begin with, you wanted to, um, who are you? What do you do? How did you get here? Um, How did you come to have a podcast? All that good stuff. Yeah, so my name is Dunk Limpman. <laughs> um, it is kind of, even for me, it was kind of hard to pronounce. I kind of made it up as a pseudonym, um, kind of an ode to Duncan Limp, of course. Um, you know, one of our fallen brothers in the Liberty Movement. Um, but basically, um, I got started in the Liberty movement. You guys are both from Texas. I'm sure you've heard of the name Pimp C if you, if you're familiar with hip hop. 
Um, but for those who haven't heard of him, he was a, a rapper, um, part of UGK, um, a rap duo from Houston, or actually more specifically from uh, Port Arthur, Texas. And I was a big fan of theirs growing up. And uh, Pimp C died in 2007, I believe, if I remember correctly. And there was a lot of YouTube videos about, um, you know, quote unquote, Illuminati killed Pimp C and all of this um, conspiracy stuff. And I was watching a lot of that. And my uncle came in the room one day and he's like, if you really want to know about conspiracies, put on this documentary called Esoteric Agenda. And then he put me on to Alex Jones and, uh, you know, it just was kind of downhill from there, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, I, I really started off in the whole conspiracy realm and then um, kind of became like a I guess you could say like a conservatarian type and um, f- due to a lot of people berating me on Instagram, I've finally kind of made the transition into full on anarchist, anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, whatever you label you want to use. I'm not a, a huge fan of the labels, but that's kind of where I'm at. And uh, I had had a, a Instagram page for a few years and I dropped that. And then I just recently got back into it last year after the whole COVID situation started happening. I was like, all right, I want to put my voice back out there and uh, start a podcast and just try to, you know, be another voice for Liberty. So that's where we're at. It is amazing how much that conspiracy pipeline, uh, you, you get your foot in the door. And then if you're not schizophrenic, eventually you start kind of weeding out the flat earths and the, uh, the adrenal chromes <laughs> and you eventually land on how bullshit the entire state apparatus is. I think that's a, a common ilk Matthew and I share with you as well. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, once once you kind of realize how much um, is going on behind the scenes and you keep questioning more and more, you, like you said, you kind of realize the whole thing is just bullshit. So it's hard Absolutely. to, I mean, once you've yeah, seen you behind the curtain, the it, over here. Well, yeah, once you've seen behind the curtain, it's really hard to, uh, you know, unsee it. And so I guess something that uh, we wanted to start with is throughout 2019 or sorry, 2020. Now we're halfway through 2021, which is wild to think about, um, you know, something that I've noticed is this trend that we are being conditioned to view freedom as selfish, you know, and uh, I just want to just start there. And what do Mm -hmm. you think? Do you think that there is a long-term agenda for that right now? Or do you think that's just this natural byproduct of the lockdowns? No, I think there's absolutely an agenda behind that. Um, I think, you know, it'll kind of jump right into the the whole topic that I had in mind for today, which is, um, you know, that these lockdowns and things were not just um, for COVID. I don't think that the initial, I don't think the initial goal behind it was COVID. I think it, you know, these lockdowns are something that they really have wanted for a long time. And COVID was just a good excuse to try it out. It was a test run, which we failed. Um, We failed to stand up and say no. And I think they're going to continue to use it uh, more so in the future. Um, So I think that, in order to in order to be able to do that, they have to convince you that freedom is selfish, and um, you know, of course, Ayn, Ayn Rand, um, who I'm not the the biggest fan of, I'm not a you know an, a Randian or anything, but um, she said that you know it's okay to be selfish, and so you know, for me, I, I don't mind. I'll embrace that. You know, I made a meme recently that was saying you know um, take the vaccine, and the guy says no, and they're like, well, you're selfish. Okay. <laughs> That's right. fine with me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be selfish if it's, you know, in defense of my um, bodily autonomy and my freedom. So, yeah, I definitely think there's an agenda behind it, though. I think that, um, you know, of course, the agenda is always going to be control and power. And uh, if they can tell people that that they're selfish um, for, you know, for viewing their freedoms as the most important thing, then they'll be able to control the masses. So. Right. And that's uh, 
a tale as old as the government itself is, is what I put down on my little sheet here. That uh, um, I think that was the only part I, I kind of wanted to correct Matt on what he was saying was this this uh, new regime's agenda here. And it, it's something that we see throughout themes of history that uh, there's always been a common enemy. There's always been a reason to rise up for the greater good. Uh, and it, it spans from things like, uh, I mean, if you could think of racism in this country, and we talk a lot about repealing these systemic racist uh, hierarchies within our government. And the part they overlook a lot of times is it took the government in the first place in order to put a lot of these hierarchies in place and, and this <laughs> systemic racism where it sends black men unfairly to, to prison. And I think what that demonstrates in my mind is that the government doesn't care which side it's on morally. It only cares what that majority is that's going to legitimize their power. And if it can go from backing the racist up until the point that we have a, a civil war and then the flavor of the day through the population has shifted to 51% of people being against it. They're more than happy to do that shift themselves and start scolding the same people they were uh, using as as pawns in their own political schemes just years before that. Uh, and I think that goes for everything. And that's kind of the, the red pill that we always talk about that we're trying to get people's attention that this quit confusing the red pill for meaning uh, conservative or voting Republican and start realizing that this red pill that we're talking about is being awake to the entire system being against you, that this corrupt power structure, this mega blob of influence is only going to move in one direction, and that is to expand itself. Yeah, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sorry, go ahead, man. Oh, no, you're good. Go ahead. So I was going to say there was, uh, I was listening to Tim Pool and he had Elijah Schaefer on, and they were talking about the red pill and the blue pill and how it's, how it's kind of funny that it lines up that Democrats are the ones that uh, are taking the blue pill the most. And they're just, you know, just a little like play on color <laughs> or anything like that. And uh, the book that uh, that Dunk was talking about is The Virtuous Selfishness from Ayn Rand. Um, that's I'm not sure. I'm not a I'm not a staunch Randy in myself either, but I have read quite a bit of her work and I'm not sure where or wh I'm not sure when that was produced in her timeline, but it is a really good book. It's the virtuous selfishness. And I'll put a link to that. Um, and I think you, you know, a hundred percent, like this trial run of quote, will society tolerate a reduction in rights for the name of the greater good um, was a wild success. I mean, I think that if you want to look at this from like a beta testing, it passed with flying colors and uh, they are, they're all ready to throw that mm -hmm. into alpha, alpha gear, you know? And uh, I think that something else that, comes to my mind is Ayn Rand also talks about that uh, when you talk about the greater good, um, that the greater good all, oftentimes results in individual evils. And I think that that's one thing that a lot of people haven't really taken hold of throughout this. You know, they're like, oh, well, stay home, stay safe, protect your neighbors. But while continuing to ignore your neighbor because while your neighbor is staying home and you're saying, no, don't go outside. It's dangerous for you. Their mental health is deteriorating to the point to where, you know, we know that drug abuse has skyrocketed. We know that alcoholism has skyrocketed. We know that suicide has spiked. We know that anxiety, we know that depression, we know that all of these negative mental health um, or adverse mental health effects have just gone up all the while we're getting propagandized by all of these big companies and corporations saying, Oh, stay home. We're in it together. It's easy for you to say Nancy Pelosi from your, you know, your, your $40,000 kitchen appliance uh, package with, with your 10, with your $10 <laughs> pints of ice cream. Yeah. 
they don't even believe their own bullshit as i've <laughs> pointed out multiple times you know on my page and on you know my podcast it's um i think if people have seen the the g7 summit that they had recently where they're all standing you know apart and they've got their masks on and they show how they greeted each other with their elbows but then you see the behind the scenes photos and they're all hugging and you know not wearing masks no social distancing they don't even believe their own bullshit <laughs> yeah it's like that first time you have your heart broken as a 12 year old kid when you see uh some amateur wrestling event with your dad. And then afterwards you go to the diner and, and the two guys who were just uh, motherfucking each other and talking shit about each other's wives are, are now sitting down having eggs and, and it, it destroys <laughs> the illusion. And, I, and that to me is exactly what that red pill conversation is, is once you've seen that you can't go back to the blue pill. You can't go back to the matrix and, and all of a sudden uh, slap a Bernie sticker on your car and, and <laughs> expect your savior politician to come through and make everything right again. Yeah, unless, of course, you kind of buy into the whole, like, you know, whoever the, the person is of the day, Rand Paul, or whoever is going to come and save you, which, unfortunately, a lot of people on the right still do fall into that as well. Mm -hmm. I think it just so happens to be right now because we had Trump in office, who was such a polarizing figure that, um, you know, the media had to attack him so much uh, to maintain their control. And so I think that, um, you know, people on the right right now happen to be the ones taking the red pill uh, because of that. But it could have just just as easily if Trump had come out and said, you know, this is super scary. We need to wear four masks and get a vaccine, you know, right away <laughs> and stuff like that. I think it, we could have seen it in a whole different direction. And it could have been the people on the left that were the ones that were burning masks in the streets and right. what have you. You know, and that's a, an interesting point I like to go to a lot is the shift that we've seen in our culture in that exact regard, where it used to be when I was a kid that the the oppressors that were trying to to change everybody that the punk rockers would sing against were all these right wing people, the conservative Christians that wanted right. that kind of traditional lifestyle to be proliferated through everybody. Um, and that you saw the kind of anti-war, anti-state left. It was always the the hippies talking about the CIA or the underground rapper telling you why you, you shouldn't be for the state. And it's weird now to see this complete 180 of it. And I'm not sure if it's anything more than just simply that whoever is in control, it's the, the analogy of the ring and Lord of the Rings. Once you've got it, do you actually throw it into the flames or do you decide that maybe I should use this terrible tool uh, because I'll use it better than the last guy did. I'll turn it around and, and make sure that the state is only used to, to benefit the people this time, even though throughout history, uh, we would uh, see the pattern being that it tends to uh, simply oppress whoever the minority or the group out of power is. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at it too, it's, you know, the, the same people that were in power in, you know, the 90s and the 2000s are still in power today. I mean, you look mm -hmm. at, at Joe Biden as the president and I, like, I still can't even believe how many leftists fell for that. You know what I mean? I mean, this right. is the guy that, that wrote the crime bill and <laughs> And um, this this actually goes perfectly into my point that I, one of the things I wanted to bring up, which was 9-11, um, you know, like you said, going back, this this definitely isn't the first time that fear has been used um, to man manipulate for control. I mean, it, I'm no historian, but as far as I know, it even goes back as far as like ancient, ancient Egypt. Um, but of course, if you look at 9-11, you look at all the freedoms that we lost, um, people were happy to give up, uh, you know, their freedoms because of fear. And we mm -hmm. get the National Defense Authorization Act. We get the forming of um, Department of Homeland Security, TSA, the Patriot Act, which is another one that Joe Biden would right. and basically. Hey, it was a it was a big <laughs> emotional reaction. I mean, I was would be lying to the audience if I said I wasn't in that camp. I was a young man in high school, and 
every, you know, somebody's got to die. They, they took American blood. We got to murder some Brown people to, to even the tally. Uh, right. Of course, that's before you start doing any kind of deep research and understand how long we've been tempering, uh, tampering with them in the middle East there. And, and how many of those gentlemen probably had fathers killed by American bullets, uh, that led to their decisions to fly planes into buildings. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, so one thing I wanted to point out is, I don't know how many people have heard of the, um, project for the new American century. Um, but they were a, a neocon think tank, uh, founded in 1997 basically with the goal of trying to increase military spending to ensure like us global uh, hegemony. And, um, the, you know, there's some noteworthy people that were involved with that, like Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Joe Bolton, uh, John Bolton, excuse me, um, Paul Wolfowitz. And basically they had this report in 2000 called rebuilding America's defenses in September of 2000, they put this, um, thing out and it says one of the quotes is, uh, the process of transformation, even if it brings about revolutionary change, is likely to be a long one, absent some catastrophic and cat- excuse me, absent some catastrophic and catalyzing event like a new a new Pearl Harbor. Well, um, they said that. I mean, right of there, course, we know what happened a year later. Yeah, right. The quiet part's loud at that point because it's literally a yeah. year later. We know what and happened. Whether. Yeah. And, and whether you think 9-11 was an inside job or not, um, you know, it just goes back to that infamous quote of Rahm Emanuel that you don't let a, a serious crisis go to waste. And so, like I said, you know, from that, we got the DHS, we got the spying op- apparatus, we got everything that kind of led us to where we are today. Um, so, I, you know. And sometimes I think show. that's the the disservice that it does to the people who are are pointing to this fact that, hey, some guys from Saudi Arabia flew planes into buildings and all of a sudden we're in Iraq. Like, how does that make sense in Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's where I, I'm a big proponent of. I, I don't think it was an inside job. I think that they got lucky. I think uh, from a strategic standpoint that they wanted to go to these seven countries that they had listed out in front of their war rooms several times before. Yep. Uh, these, these were predestined to happen. And they just so happened to have an attack that happened to be somewhat from the same region. And they know Americans can't even point out Wisconsin on a map. So good luck trying to figure out which the uh, country these dudes came from. We're just going to send troops over before they know what's going on. <laughs> That's a really good point. And that plan is still in motion as well. I mean, Syria was one of those um, countries on that list of seven that you mentioned. And of course, you know, we're they're still trying to get us to go to war with Syria now. Right. So I mean, I'm, hey, that, just that on that point, we've, we've watched, uh, you mentioned John Bolton, who's responsible for a lot of these wars, who's still up there demonizing libertarians today with all the blood on his hands. And conversely, you have uh, a great reporter like Aaron Maté, uh, who was calling bullshit on 9-11, calling that the, the wars that we were starting were unjust that there were no weapons of mass destruction uh and he was called a, a terrorist sympathizer and every dirty name in the book and then here he is today contesting the uh chemical weapons in syria attack that are trying to justify our troops going in and again the corporate media is throwing him under the bus they're calling him uh, an uh on putin's payroll and I mean, it's just blatant mccarthyism essentially for them to get their way uh meanwhile we're just having the the wool pulled over our eyes once again and our tax money's getting sucked up to murder brown people in a foreign country that had zero problem with you and your farm in the middle of texas yep 100 percent. same shit different day yeah 100 percent. and it is something that when you're talking about you know um the ndaa you're talking about the patriot act you're talking about uh the tsa the the nsa all of these all of these new reiterations of the alphabet boys um, something that really comes to my mind is that, you know, maybe 
even, like freedom is not a reward, right? Freedom is, is our natural state of being. But through 200 years of the federal government becoming the very thing that it sought to destroy and overthrow, you now have this huge apparatus that is no longer the protector of your natural rights, as the Bill of Rights lays out and the Constitution says. And they are now this huge oppressor of it. And the only thing that comes to my mind is when they dangle rights like this in front of you like a carrot, then it shows that the this government does not protect your freedoms and that they don't care about your freedoms and they don't care about you. What they see is that they see privileges that they will revoke as soon as they see fit. And then they will, you know, either use the carrot or the stick to try to get your um, to coerce you into the behavior that they that they really want to incentivize and see fit. And I think one of the worst things about COVID-19 and these lockdowns is that they have turned fear into a virtue. I'm afraid to go outside. You should be too, because you're not, you're a terrible person. You just want grandma to die. You don't care about the health of everyone else. So you don't want to get this jab. Shame on you. You know, all of, it just goes on and on and on. You know, I wonder even if uh, maybe it's to rephrase it a bit, that it is a reward. Uh, but it's not a reward that's ever been handed out by a state ever once in existence. It's a reward that you get from dispelling uh, your own oppressors, really. Well, that's a, a good point. Uh, that you you can earn your rights, um, but it, it's not like they've ever been handed out by some central intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the whole – what you pointed out earlier was the whole like we're all in this together type of thing, this mentality of you know we all have to um, sacrifice for the greater good. Um, Pete Pete Quinones, uh, Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, had a, a great episode talking about that recently with uh, David Gornoski, um, just kind of talking about why people are like culturally predisposed to seek out um, somebody to sacrifice, somebody to cast away in times of darkness, you know, in, in times of great tragedy. We want to um, to sacrifice somebody. And in this circumstance, the sacrifice was not one person in particular or one group in particular. It was everyone. You know, it was a mass, a mass sacrifice. And so mm. um, I think fear, like, of course, you know, there's fear of the virus. Um, there's fear of fear of death. There's fear of getting sick. There's fear of losing grandma. But I think the bigger fear really is fear of social ostracization and fear of, you know, being looked at, <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of these liberals are saying that um, even though they're they're vaccinated and everybody they know is vaccinated, they're still going to wear the masks because they're afraid of people seeing them as a Republican. <laughs> and it, you know, so it's really it, like the fear is so much more than just the fear of death. It's the fear of people, you know, seeing you as the other, as the the bad person, um, and getting you know a bad look when you go to the grocery store or whatever. And that's definitely a strong one. I mean, there's been a lot of studies that go into that uh, that. Punishments worse than death often can be ostracizing you from society uh, or taking away from your your legacy and and uh, essentially dragging the, the name through the dirt. It is a, a weird thing. We're such social creatures that uh, that is one of the most important basic needs, it would seem, within our own hierarchy of needs in our head. Yeah, and for me, like you know, I, I don't care if, if you think like I'm a Republican, like if you want to actually have a conversation with me about it and ask why I'm not wearing a mask, like I'll actually talk to you about it. But if you just want to assume that I'm a Republican, okay, <laughs> I really don't care. Like that, that just, it doesn't work on me. Like it does with others, if anything. I mean, I put, I put immune together one time with like Ron Swanson when it says like, 
you're the only person in a grocery store that's not wearing a mask and all the NPCs are giving you dirty looks. And he's like, this kind of gives me a simmy. <laughs> <laughs> if that's one that's always uh, with me. bewildered me, the amount of people that love the character of Ron Swanson. Uh, but then if you bring up anything libertarian to them, they're like, ah, it sounds like silly nonsense. I don't know why anybody could uh, could sympathize with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's also interesting that this, this weird, uh, back to that kind of cultural swap we have, it's all the people that are preaching diversity and living your own life and making your own decisions are, for whatever reason, they've been caught in this woke psyop by our government to suppress people having any opinion that is not of the regulated opinion base. <laughs> that even though we're for diversity and everybody making their own decisions, it's just got it. You you can start from anywhere just as long as you end up exactly where we want you to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's not only government, but I think it's it's corporate power as well. It's it's corporate. You know, that's a good point. And there's a a lot of times that line gets blurred. And I think that's some of the criticism that uh, a lot of and caps get in that area is like, well, what's to keep these corporations from doing the same thing? And and I think that's the maybe the step that a lot of and caps have trouble taking to realize that you know these power structures they don't have to be called states in order to be oppressive to you. That they can be any power structure, they can be churches, they can be corporations that if they're uh, coercing you into a life you don't want to live or taking advantage of other people, that they're still the same kind of uh, power issue. Um, and that's a big one that's kind of has led me and Matthew to this area. I, I wonder if you have a similar background where you were a rebellious child yourself. Was I a rebellious child? I wouldn't say so. Not really, to be honest. I was. I wouldn't say I was like a goody good kind of kid but i you know i mean i i skated in ditches and shit and like hung out with guys that smoked pot and whatever i mean i smoke pot every day <laughs> but like so I, I wouldn't say that i was like a a rebellious kid i, I guess i kind of fall in the middle i guess you could say um, maybe rebellious is not as uh, good as like anti-authority is kind of what i'm looking for yeah um were you a shit to your teachers I, I, it depended on the teacher, to be quite honest. It depended on the setting. Like some some classrooms, I just kind of sat back and did my own thing, and then some classes, I was the class clown. So it kind of depended on on that. But I mean, like I was lucky enough to grow up in a um, in in a small town um, where I don't want to say a small town. I mean, we were on the the edge of a large metropolitan area, but we had our own like police department in our little neighborhood, basically. And I was lucky enough that the cops there were pretty cool guys. Like you know, they would come check on us when. We we're skating down in the ditch, make sure we weren't like, you know, doing graffiti or starting fires or anything. But, you know, they were pretty cool with us. They're like, you know, what's up, skater punks? Uh, you know, <laughs> so I think I was lucky enough in that that I didn't get, you know, the real shit in that some people do um, in <laughs> other parts of other parts of the world. But um, it really wasn't until, like I said, until I started getting into the conspiracy realm that I my mindset really changed a lot. I think if I hadn't. Um, gone that direction and gotten introduced to people like Alex Jones, I probably, to be quite honest, it's kind of scary to say, but I probably would have been like an SJW type. So <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's easy. That I mean, that's, uh, that's one thing we definitely preach a lot on our show and, and part of why we decided in, to make a show in the first place. Cause we wanted to get more messaging and more voices out there that hopefully more people would be receptive to. Uh, but it is a major uphill battle that we have this. Uh, we're preaching, an individualist society of uh, voluntary interactions between people 
Uh, and in doing that, you're kind of forfeiting the ability that the state has to create an entire education system where they get to hand down to you every idea that you have until you're 18 years old and make yeah. sure that you uh, you absorb that information first. And I foremost. think it goes a little bit deeper. Yeah, and they do a really great job of it, and they're only getting better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it goes deeper than just 18 years, because when you're talking about like corporatism and you're talking about there's only a limited um, number of viewpoints that are allowed that's being passed down, like in the woke in the woke culture today. I mean, that extends to academia. Right. Um, There was I for the longest time, I wanted to be just a Ph.D. professor and teach teach history at a school and like kick back and almost be like a Dr. Bell who was one of my favorite professors. But then I saw something happen to another one of my favorite professors. She was on her ninth and that nine, nine and a half years in to her, um, uh, to her, uh, her time at tech. And uh, she wrote a couple of papers that did not sit well with someone up above her. And so, you know, six months before she's given tenureship, uh, they, they canceled her contract. They fired her because her papers went outside of the realm of acceptable historical thought. You know, and I think that there's there is this this control mechanism that it doesn't really matter what what uh, what institution it is. It's so embedded um, that any sort of straying outside of it, like you're only allowed to stray as far as they can keep their tethers on you. Right. So it's like it's almost like you're th- like thinking of it, thinking of your thoughts like a dog on a leash. Right. You were allowed to walk 20 feet out, but as soon as you get to the end of that leash, that is the end of your freedom. No more original thought. We must rein you back in. And I think that that's really, it's really become prevalent and you can see it now. Um, I think another good thing that has, maybe good's not the right word, but uh, something that has been enlightening, at least to a lot of people, is that the lockdowns have showed this outright like uh the 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 hypocrisy is so blatant that a lot of people that i like the term that you use npc and for those who know abla that is a non-player character so for any anyone who plays video games uh any of those like random things you like think of grand theft auto right so when you walk up to some someone walking down the street that's an npc and I think a lot of people fall into that category, unfortunately. But but there's there's been a lot of NPCs that have started to see the hypocrisy so blatant that uh, they're they're attempting to become uh, characters in the game, and I think that's cool. Yeah, I work with a guy that's a um, hardcore Republican, Trump supporter type of guy, and like over this last you know year and a half with this COVID nonsense, he's really. I would say he would still, you know, vote for a Trump, you know, in a heartbeat, but he's at least really opened his eyes to a lot of, you know, just calling bullshit on a lot of the things that the establishment says that he maybe would not have otherwise. So, yeah, I can definitely see, like you said, it's not that it's necessarily a good thing that any of this happened, but it has been beneficial in the sense of of helping to wake more people up. Yeah, I certainly think that was probably the main rub that the establishment had against Trump. It never had anything to do with, uh, of course, they don't care about people trying to come in through the border. So it had nothing to do with the wall. Uh, they don't care about um, a lot of the uh, the things that he might have actually been able to accomplish as much as Dum uh, Dum was saying the quiet parts out loud. He was, he was out there demonizing the entire government and opening up a lot of eyes to that. And I don't think it had a, nearly as much to do with who Trump was or what he wanted to represent 
as it did that that was the best way to attack them. He was a smart enough uh, promoter that he could tell that, hey, people are starting to wake up to the fact that this government is horseshit and that they're not uh, representing the people at all. And if I'm the one that gets up there and says that, just like Obama did before me, they're going to elect the guy that says that. Uh, yeah. And I think that that just scared the shit out of them because the the rhetoric, the silver lining that uh, was a presidency with Donald Trump was not anything he ever would have or or had any notions of accomplishing himself uh, other than maybe putting some gold letters on the front of the White House. Uh, <laughs> but he, he was uh, he was storing the stirring the hornet's nest up and hopefully it's woken up a lot of people uh, to the fact that hey, this is a a fucked system. And just because uh, we got another Democrat in there now doesn't mean that it's going to turn around and be hunky-dory tomorrow. And I think Biden's going to give plenty of opportunity for people to keep that door open. Yeah, I think, like you know, again, kind of going back to my my buddy that I work with, you know, I was able to point out to him, like, um, because he he would have been a, you know, a Bush supporter or whatever in, in the past. And I think now, um, at least moving forward, I think he'll be a lot more skeptical because he kind of sees that, you know, Joe Biden as being the same in the same group as those neocons were and how like they were really trying to put, you know, the Bush family in and, and somehow Trump slipped through. Um, but I've just I, I've been I've been implanting little nuggets here and there because I, you know, we go on car rides together and I'm kind of testing the waters a little bit, put a, put a toe in a, a little bit here and there trying to, um, you know, drop some knowledge on them without getting too far into it. Cause I really don't like to talk about politics too much when it comes to work. Cause I just know how sensitive people can get and don't really want to stir the pot too much, at least in that area. No, so. I think that's a hundred percent right. Fair. Yeah, I can definitely, uh, I had a, a very minor brush up at work when the, the black lives matter was going on. And there were a lot of uh, young white influencers that didn't know what blackface was. So they were painting their faces black and then saying like, we're all one race or race doesn't matter, <laughs> which, you know, the, the message was a sweet wholehearted message in their own eyes. Uh, but they just didn't understand the ramifications of blackface. And I pointed out just, isn't that hilarious that there are people who don't, they're so tone deaf to the moment that they would, literally go to blackface to show their support for black people. That's great. Uh, and I had to have a conversation with a young lady at work because she, she didn't go to report me or anything, but she wanted to let me know that that was even to say blackface was really offensive. And to, and I was like, but you she understand was- that what I'm saying is that they are in the wrong for doing blackface, right? Like I am against blackface in this story. <laughs> and it's, but like, just to your point there that people are so hypersensitive to the buzzwords now uh, that they've all been co-opted by this, uh, this woke, ideology that uh that really is is moving to separate us because we're worried about things like did he say the word blackface out loud rather than worrying about things like hmm, why is it that we did this amazing bailout printed more money than we had in the entirety of human history and yet i got a 1200 dollar check and amazon and walmart uh got paid out the wazoo with corporate welfare yeah uh, man, I, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it's been said probably enough, but I think this whole thing really has to do with going back to Occupy Wall Street. When you look at the mentions of, um, race and gender and all these, um, different things, equality and, and, and what have you, um, those mentions skyrocketed after 2011, 2012 in the media, because they saw that people were coming together, you know, we are the 99%. And even though they were kind of misguided, uh, maybe in, in who they were attacking, they may not have been attacking necessarily all the right people, but they were attacking enough of the right people that the, um, you know, the corporate media needed to change the narrative ASAP. And they did a damn good job of it because Mm -hmm. they've got us all fighting each other again and not 
keeping our eyes on them. And they did such a good job at it that they were able to get the people that were the most against them, who are the people on the left, who are the communists and the, you know, the radical leftists to now simp for them and basically mm-hmm. defend them and defend their fact checking and defend their, their big tech apparatus. And, you know, I, I have like a, this group of communists that comes on my page all the time because I went on their podcast and now they kind of troll the shit out of me now. <laughs> um, and, but, but yeah, I mean, they basically like, you know, I, I'd, I'd say, I'm like, how, how did we go from, from Occupy Wall Street to now having leftists tell, you know, an, a, a, a capitalist, um, that they're wrong on their opinions about how bad the corporate media is. Like, what the hell is that? Yeah, we're we're in the upside down. the The simulation, uh, the, the simulators got bored and have started pushing some random keys. <laughs> it is it is wild to think that that now we have the pro war, uh, pro establishment, poor. Cor- uh, pro corporation left in this country is is absolutely wild. It's so nuts. It's so nuts. Um, and I was so I, I like to downhill mountain bike and I listen to a lot of Rage Against the Machine while I'm doing that because it gets me pumped. But at the same time, <laughs> it's so crazy, though, to think about a group like Rage Rage Against the Machine. Um, now, at this point, like I, I, I should like rebrand them in my phone. It's like Rage and the Machine or Rage with the Machine, because when you get people like Tom Morello sitting out there like, hey, you should go vote. This is a good thing to vote. You should listen to Facebook because uh, because this big private corporation only wants your... And it's like, you are Tom Morello, dude. You used to make... It's like uh, the shredness. These are dudes who have tattooed permanently anarchist symbols on their bodies. Right. (laughs) Anarchist everywhere. Tattooed Rage Against the Machine. Your emblems on you. And now you are part of the machine. I think, dude, that that whole shift... I mean, there's the only... Logan with the Upside Down. You're talking about these communists and all these leftists who are so, so private. You know, and it's... There's a there's an Instagram page that I like to go on and kind of troll myself. And when I remember it was mind blowing how many responses I got when Trump got censored from Twitter and Facebook the very first time. Uh, and every you know, I, I can't remember. I, I said something like maybe it was the poem from the German uh, priest who was talking about first they came for these people and no one said anything. Then they came for yada, yada. And then they came to me and there was no one left to speak. And I could not. It was it was mind blowing how many leftists, like outspoken leftists, came at me. It's a private company, bro, as you would say. You know, it's like they can do what they want. It's like, but you don't like, don't you understand that you are now supporting? It's like, 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 when did leftists become bootlickers in their own right? Like, I know that I know that conservatives are still like, oh, back the blue, and they they still like the taste of uh, of. of state-sponsored violence on their necks, but now leftists like the t- you know the taste of the rubber from like the corporate press and like the corporate um, industrial complex, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing, real quickly, not to derail too much, but just because you brought up Rage Against the Machine, I would highly recommend uh, Hiro the Hero. He's like a rap metal guy, and he sounds very similar to Rage Against the Machine, but he's not so lefty i guess you could say but um but anyways um just to get back to what you were saying a moment ago there yeah it's it's crazy like going back to trump you know when he got booted off of off of twitter and facebook and everything it's like you've just spent the last four years saying that this guy is literally hitler do you not want to know what hitler has to say do you really (laughs) want hitler to be off in his own corner radicalizing his people 
um, without you being able to interject because you're not going to join, you know, parlor or whatever platform that they decide to go on. Do you really, is that what you really want? And, and then, you know, the whole, it's a private company, bro. I just did a whole episode on that. No, it's not, it's not a private company. <laughs> it's just simply not. I mean, they're literally getting funded off of your tax dollars. Right. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah. There's so much of that that's intertwined in it. And that, that disgusting game that state plays anyway, where there's this problem that we have, you know, kind of back to that racism thing I said earlier, there's all these systemic issues within this, uh, that are causing us to be oppressed within government and, and only the government with its shining cape can come in and save us from, from what government has already done to us. And (laughs) it's, it's amazing to see how people continuously fall into that. I, I don't, understand how more people don't get behind these other than just simply that apparatus of the, the uh, cathedral that's taught us from birth, how to behave and how to genuflect to the United States and put your hand over your heart and say your prayers to God and and root for the home team and all that good jazz. And, and meanwhile, slowly chipping away at, at every freedom and everything that they claim as the land of the free to be. Um, and I guess at that point, we should probably get back to the, uh, the COVID conversation here <laughs> as once we derailed it. Um, I was curious earlier, I wanted to get to, to asking you when we've already kind of established, we're all believers in this. Oh, sorry. I think we lost you for a moment there. I was, I was just uh, getting at it. I mean, we're obviously we're all kind of into this idea that this was a test run, that our government is trying to see exactly how far they can push us to uh, give up our, our rights in case of an emergency. And they got a great test of it this year uh, that they got to see, man, a whole lot of people just went ahead and, and hopped when they said hop. Um, so when you think of this conspiracy, um, Dunk, do you think this is kind of a centralized thing? Are you an Illuminati guy, so to speak? Or are you a general inertia of what the state itself is? Yes and no. Um, I don't... First of all, of course, you know, Illuminati was a real group back in whenever the fuck it was, the 1800s or whatever. Yeah, we all um, love soul music. <laughs> so, like, of course, of course, you know, they were a real a real group. But I think the, you know, quote unquote Illuminati of today are, are not so much um, these, like, secret families, but it's just the people in power. Um, when you look at, like, the Davos group, you look at the... Um, world economic forum you look at uh, the united nations and the club of rome and just all these different groups of powerful people yep g7 exactly i mean there's so many different ones but um if you look at like you know un agenda 21 and 2030 um and just quotes from various people in places of power with a lot of wealth they've always talked about wanting to depopulate the planet and basically enslave humanity. Um, if you've seen the hunger games, that's kind of how I describe that a lot of their vision for the future is they want kind of this, um, hunger games kind of society where the majority of people are stuck into these tiny little super cities and, um, the rest of the world is left, you know, to be green or what have you. Right. So the whole goal is to, um, enact, legislation to restrict um, access to travel, restrict access to uh, resources and what have you with the goal of, you know, quote unquote, preventing climate change. Now, whether or not they actually believe in that is something that I'm not entirely sure. I think some of them, maybe they really do believe that they're trying to save the world and maybe some of them don't, but in either regard where they, they want to see humanity is, is shoved in a box. Um, 
working for them while they're, you know, up there having their cake. So this, uh, there was this article back in, uh, that was published in October of 2020, and it was titled Avoiding a Climate Lockdown. And the author really starts to set the stage for um, what they would like to do in the mm-hmm. future, right? And so this is a quote from that actual article. It says, as COVID-19 spread, governments introduced lockdowns in order to prevent a public health emergency from spinning out of control. In the near future, the world may need to resort to lockdowns again, this time to tackle climate emergency. To avoid such a scenario, we must overhaul our economic structures and do capitalism differently. And then he goes on to say later, under a climate lockdown, governments would limit private use, private vehicle use, ban consumption of red meats, and impose extreme energy saving measures while fossil fuel companies would also have to stop drilling. And, you know, and what was really interesting about this article, and we'll put it in the show notes, is that he, he frames this as like, oh, well, what we need to do is restructure capitalism so we don't have to do these lockdowns while essentially priming you to get ready for a climate lockdown. Because I've already heard enough people talk about like, hey, I mean, Boris Johnson said it at G7. He said, hey, guys, we know that the COVID-19 response showed us how we as a globe can come together to tackle a single crisis. Now that COVID-19 is starting to wane, even though that they don't like to, because now they have to pick a new cause, I think that it's Unfortunately, I would almost rather have COVID in the forefront because climate change and governments fight against climate change, even though the United States military is the largest polluter of the planet, mm-hmm. um, that, that they are going to really try to just continue this again and again and in different ways. And at that point, like, when do you, when do you defeat climate change, right? When do you get to cross the finish line and say, congratulations, guys, we've won the war on climate change. Well, like I said, I think it's when we get to the point that we're living in a Hunger Games world. Um, and I, I always go back to that because, you know, I, I went and saw that movie in theaters and I left, you know, walking out. And I was like, this is exactly what they talk about in their documents, the things that they say they want to see for humanity. I mean, it goes back to the the first the first documentary that woke me up, you know, quote unquote, um, was that one that I mentioned earlier, Esoteric Finding Agenda. Bigfoot. Oh. <laughs> that's a good one too no <laughs> no but um but uh esoteric agenda it, you know it has a lot of a lot of fluff in it and some of it's probably um not entirely accurate but it really breaks down um UN agenda 21 and then of course you have you know alex jones and his um documentary Endgame from i think like 2007 or something like that um Again, you can kind of you can say what you want about these people that make these documentaries, and maybe all of it's not true, but they do cite actual sources from, you know, people in these various groups that have talked about that that's what they want. They want to control humanity and have us all, you know, basically living in this little box. And like you said, they want to limit um, the access to red meat. They want to limit the access to um, to vehicles and to various. Um, other other things basically so that they can kind of have um the rest you know the rest for themselves and the way it always goes with anything like this is the closer you are to the top of this hierarchy it's not like the u.s military is going to be cutting their uh emissions it's not going to be the giant corporations no absolutely Um, not i thought the line in there about changing the way that we do like hey we got to change the way we do capitalism we got to do capitalism differently uh i thought that was really interesting considering that 
uh, yeah, I would agree with that sentiment at its face <laughs> that, yeah, if we got the governments the hell out of here so that we're not paying off all these corporations every time they fuck up, every time they have a giant oil leak that makes them go bankrupt, we don't take our tax money to keep them afloat. Uh, we wouldn't have these corporations at the top that are doing all the pollutant. I think the number I looked up was 100 companies responsible for 71% of the pollution. Uh, and then 20 of those top companies are, are responsible for a third of the overall emissions in the world. Um, so even if you are 100% on the side of of uh, climate change and you think that this is a, the number one crisis that we need to fix, um, what I would point out to you is that it is a situation that is perpetuated in my mind, at least to some degree, because our governments have allowed these corporations to grow to the sides, uh, create these monopolies to where you don't have other options that you as a consumer can't make uh, the quote unquote responsible choice to vote with your dollar and use a company that is going to be eco-friendly because they they can't get established. There's not room. There's not niches because the free market is not free. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's corporatism. That's it. It's not capitalism. It's corporatism. And people need to stop calling what we have today a free market system. Yeah, I get into the weeds a lot in the comment section of my um, Instagram page with people about corporatism versus capitalism versus free market or whatever. And I know I know the word capitalism came from Karl Marx. So I know it's like I, I, I would love to just be able to completely abandon the word capitalism from my vocabulary and like, like at this point I would be happy to let the left have the word capitalism. If, if to you capitalism is what we do here in the United States now, fine. I'm not a capitalist. I'm a free market, you know, person. I am a supporter of the free market and the free market is not what we have now. The free market is not corporate interests, you know, controlling everything that we do. Um, the free market is literally just people being able to trade freely amongst themselves in whatever capacity they see fit mm-hmm. without coercion from the state. Right. And there are going to be imbalances within a free market. There is going to be the highest producer, the best skilled person is going to out succeed the other people. It's not going to lead to equality across the board. But the problem is that if that's the negative with capitalism, with free market, uh, then we've allowed that to sustain while taking out all the positive parts of the free market, which are open niches for new businesses to flourish, for new ideas to spread out and, and enrich all of us, because we all, the the iPhone coming into our existence, the smartphone, I should say, uh, in general, is a, a great wealth to all of mankind. It wasn't something that only brought a great deal of wealth to one or two people. Um, technologies like that advance us all. Um, but when we've right. kept the the disgusting side of, of or taken out the, the positives were, you can have innovation, have a, a free markets and, and the natural ability for free markets to break up monopolies because they do incentivize you. Ultimately, if you're going to sustain your monopoly, you have to do it through having an absolute undeniably best service at the best price for every customer so that no other niche can open up. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. what we have now is you can just get your foot in there by a couple lobbyists and then the laws are just going to kind of open up in a way that is going to make competition pretty much impossible anyway. Yeah. And it's funny, like I get a lot of criticism again from the left of libertarians and anarcho-capitalists and what have you. And they always say that, you know, well, what you guys want is exactly what the corporations want. Um, You know, y'all basically envision a world that's what we already have, where the corporations have taken over. And I'm like, really? Then why the hell do the corporations not support libertarian candidates for president? Like, why do the corporations not elevate our voices on the corporate media 
you know, I, I think you don't have to look much farther than corporate welfare. Just look at the amount of money that they funnel through our taxes to bail out these corporations. And that wouldn't exist in a libertarian society. And that alone would be enough that they couldn't possibly support those ideas. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's funny. Like, you know, again, I, I told somebody the other day, I said the, what these corporate, what these corporations are pushing for feels a lot more like communism than it does like actual free market capitalism. And that just kind of short circuited their minds, I think. But you know, well, how does it look like cor- or how does it look like communism? I'm like, I don't know. The state controls everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> what familiar. more do I need to say? <laughs> In 2030, you will own nothing and you will be happy, as they said. World Economic Freedom, or uh, World Economic Forum, rather. Yep. <laughs> and, I mean, and there's there's a huge cicada problem in Washington, D.C., so maybe all these politicians should just start eating bugs. And uh, you know, something that came to my mind is, uh, in terms of, like, this climate change and what we could do to combat it, I mean, I think your name is actually extremely fitting, Break the State. Right. Like if we, if all of these people who really wanted who are who are crying about climate change and crying about solutions for it, well, the, the abolition of the state would go an awfully long ways in uh, reducing a lot of the problems that we have today in terms of like pollution, in terms of uh, climate. You know, I, I think it would it would go so far because what, what strikes me as odd about like G7 is that G7 would led the lockdowns for the globe. Now, China does what China does because it's always going to beat China. You know, China is going to do Kermit the Frog. But the G7 really led the West in and in, in pushed the rest of the world into saying like, hey, no, you have to lock down. You need to do these things. And now they get together and it's like, well, now that the world economy is in shambles, what can we do to uh, try to fix this? And, and how can we help? But it's like, you caused this problem. It was literally caused by you. Like the, the economy <laughs> was doing just fine before you guys told everybody that you can't go to work. It wasn't the coronavirus that destroyed our economy. It was government intervention into our lives. And they said, no, you can't go to work. No, you must stay home, peasant. No, we're going to give you a check. Watch Tiger King and and behave. And now that we're coming <laughs> out of it, they're, yeah. they're scrambling to try to fix a problem that they that they created. Yeah, I mean, I I think it kind of goes back to one of my first points that I said today was, you know, from the Project for a New American Century and how they talked about exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to go into the Middle East. They wanted to expand military power and they just needed the right crisis to happen in order to do so. And this is the same thing. Um, This just goes right back to the same thing. They they wanted to lock the planet down already. That's what they've already wanted. And Mm -hmm. it just so happened that COVID came around whether you think COVID was an inside job or not, it worked out perfectly. Again, I I would kind of lean towards not being so much of an inside job that this is something that how many, every single year we have an H1N1, a swine Mm -hmm. flu, a bird flu, Ebola. It's always been something. They've been pushing this forever. And that was what really got me at the beginning of this. When we started doing lockdowns, I was scratching my head and going like, do we, don't we do this every year in the news cycle? Why are we, why is this year the year? Right. Why are we shutting down now and deciding that the we have to destroy an economy to fight this terrible disease uh, when we have this conversation twice a year? It seems. Yeah, I think like the the big one was. Um... Go ahead. Oh, so, sorry. There's like a lag on my end. I think mm-hmm. I'm like a half second behind you guys. 
Um, can you guys hear me? <laughs> and with his uh, with his natural lag, that's really adding to some difficulties here. <laughs> no worries. Well, um, yeah, I mean, like getting back to what you're saying, why don't we do this every time? Um, I, I forget when exactly it was, like 2011 or something like that, when the whole Ebola thing was was big, or maybe that was. I don't remember when it was, but anyways, that was one that actually scared me like that one. If they would have started locking things down at that time, it actually would have worked a little bit better on me than this whole COVID thing did. Um, you know, looking around this last year, it's it's always interesting to me. And I don't mean to sound insensitive, you know, if, if this isn't the case, but it's interesting to me, the people that really buy into the whole COVID thing also happen to be the ones that know um, you know, six people that died from COVID. And I always just kind of wonder, do you really know that many people that died from it? Or are you just a liberal that fell for the, um, the blue pill, you know, perspective because, and you're just telling me that, you know, that many people to justify, um, the bullshit that you've been willing to put up with for the last year, because I don't know anybody that's died from it. I know one person that was hospitalized and she was very overweight, um, not quite elderly, but just about an elderly, um, lady, has, um, I believe diabetes and a lot of other health ailments and she was hospitalized and still got out of it just fine after like a week. Um, everybody else that I know barely had any symptoms. I caught it. My girlfriend caught it. My son caught it. Um, you know, I felt like I had a flu for a couple of days. My girlfriend wasn't too feeling too good for a couple of days. My son had no symptoms at all. None of us had a fever, which just proves that the taking of the temperatures is stupid. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, we, we've done this every year. There was a great meme that was like, um, you know, in 2001, Al-Qaeda's going to kill us all. In 2003, SARS is going to kill us all. In 2005, bird flu is going to kill us all. Mm -hmm. 2015, ISIS is going to kill us all. It's always, there's always some boogeyman. There's always some somebody to point the finger at and say, ah, that guy's scary. We need to take more of your freedoms away in order to combat it. Right. And, um, 2k Mayan calendar. There's always yep. a new fun. How's the world going to end thing. And that's been going on forever. I mean, there's been people three days after Jesus died, people were talking about revelations and how it's about to happen. Shit's going to hit the <laughs> fan guys. That's, we're living uh, in revelations. <laughs> <laughs> we love those stories as humans. We, we, uh, we see the excitement in the potential end of mankind. And, and there's always something around the corner that's going to get us, uh, <laughs> which yeah I'm, I'm a sucker for that myself i mean i love apocalyptic movies i love dystopian movies those are my absolute favorites so go figure <laughs> i feel you there yeah i've definitely uh got too deep into the mayan calendar at one point in time and i even caught myself almost getting back into it with like the well the date was wrong and i think i did one <laughs> google search and i was like don't go down this stupid rabbit hole again <laughs> which is how we all should have probably felt about this covid thing as well is yeah. hey let's Let's pay attention to what's going on here. And if you have a compromised immune system, if you're elderly, uh, I would even say early on before we knew the facts of this, if you were had young children, it's smart when there's a new pa potential pandemic to keep them at home and safe and and out of the sure. until we know all the facts. But uh, to the levels that we've taken this over something that's proven as innocuous as this uh, this uh, SARS CoV two that. Uh, We've done so much more damage than this virus ever could have done on any trajectory that was uh, was put out there. Mm hmm. COVID COVID's over. Find a new cause, you know, and <laughs> well, what I'm what I'm afraid that with I'm, I'm afraid what they're going to do is they they're like, OK, fine. Climate change. And uh, yeah. let's let's go full blown, full blown bass on that. But back to this whole like COVID thing. Right. 
what we didn't know, what we know now is what we didn't know um, a year ago, even even a year ago today. But I think what really didn't help the situation is that New York and New Jersey funneled a bunch of elderly people into nursing homes and COVID ran amok in there and they killed. And so it's like, what's really interesting, if you look at a graph between the number of COVID deaths between New York and Texas, you have that huge, huge spike right at the start because um, New York is funneling a bunch of old people, the most vulnerable among us, into closed contained areas so that they can all die of it. And then Texas has just pretty much been open this whole time. And it has done no worse than anywhere else. And so I think that something that really shit on the mainstream uh, media's narrative is when Texas and Florida opened up, they're like, oh, you guys are all going to die. And it's like, well, Texas and Florida is not dead. So you guys have some explaining to do. Yeah, I think that really blew the lid off of it. And I think that's why they're they're changing the topic now. Um, You had the guy from CNN with that uh, Project Veritas piece where he was basically talking about, yeah, you know, we we made sure Trump didn't get in office and we're, you know, almost done with the COVID thing. So we're going to start talking about climate change now. That's going to be our next big push. And it just so happens that that falls in line with everything else that we've been saying here, that that's what their next thing is going to be. How many masks do you have to wear to stop greenhouse emissions from yourself? I don't, I hadn't seen the CDC's recommendation. Well, you actually have to put them on your butt. (laughs) Yeah. Mm, That makes sense. Maybe that's the next big market (laughs) niche right there is some sort of filtration system for your own greenhouse emissions. It's basically just a tube from your ass to your face. And you just, that way it does, you just recycle your own air. Don't, don't, don't worry about what, don't worry about the people that pass out. That's just, that's how it's supposed to work. It's okay. Dang. (laughs) That might have to be the uh, satirical ad that opens this one up right here. That's a pretty nice premise. (laughs) Oh, dude, I I really do like that. If I could just say, I love y'all's intros. Those are great. Those are so awesome. The one about the, uh, the Avengers that I heard the other day was amazing. (laughs) Oh, I was so proud of federal tax, man. I was pumped about that one in my head. (laughs) (laughs) you know that was a happy accident that's become something uh that may be my favorite part of this podcast we did that to like i think originally it was like oh that's probably a bad cut uh from matthew's uh obvious atrocious internet up there in the mountains so maybe we need to interject (laughs) a fake ad we don't have any sponsors uh and i've gotten to where i fucking love making those ads man i have a blast with them yeah those are great (laughs) (laughs) well thank you i do appreciate it Are you still with us, Matthew, or are you in uh, frozen land over there? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm here. I just don't know. I don't know how far I'm lagging, and I don't know if I can speak or not. So I just, I'm just going to opt for silence <laughs> unless directed to speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you got anything else to get off your chest over there while we have your attention, Matthew? Um, you know what? I, I don't. I just, I um. I don't. I had. I did have something to say earlier, and I started to say it, but then I was lagging, and it, now it slipped my mind. And so, oh. at the end of the day, I think um, I'd say I've just I've just blown it once again. My internet. I'm going to look into trying to get some some better internet because this bugs me <laughs> week in and week out. <laughs> Maybe you could just uh, go to your go to Taos there and, and go to the big Starbucks and you can just scream libertarian anarchist to propaganda at everybody from the corner once a week. <laughs> I'm sure dude, I'm sure they would absolutely love that. And this, Oh, I, I remember what I was going to say earlier. Um, when you're talking about your coworker and you, you have to try like test the waters and like how, how much can I really say? I've really had to, I've had to learn that because 
in the process of having this podcast, I've had people around my town come up to me and talk to me about it. And I don't even say anything really about it. It's like, they just like, oh, hey, I listened to your podcast and just say, oh, okay, cool. I don't say thank you for listening or like, what do you think about it? And I just pause because it's either one of two things. They're either like, hey, I kind of identify as a libertarian myself. I like what you guys are doing. Or it's like, I fucking hate everything that you have to say. And if I could cut your internet <laughs> so you could never say another word, I would. I always, what I think about though is Michael Malice, where, um, I guess it's it's actually Murray Rothbard. If you could abolish the state, would you abolish it so fast that you would get a blister from pressing the button? And that's kind of the gauge on like how libertarian anarchist, anarcho-capitalist, like anti-state people are. Because I get in my own echo chamber, kind of like you were talking on your last episode, it's a private company, bro. Um and I don't want us as libertarians, freedom-loving people to end up in an echo chamber because, yeah, we can all sit here and circle jerk each other and say the state sucks. But you run into a lot of NPCs that don't believe that. And what, uh, what, I, th- what I like about your approach is how you, with your coworker, is you're not just blasting so much that it instantly turns people off because I've had to learn that in my own life when I talk to people. It's like, I'm going to start here. I'm going to start like, do you think that government does a good job with the money that it takes from you? I don't go into his taxation theft. I don't go into any of these things. It's like, do you think the government's doing a good job? If they say no, then I slowly creep down. And there's and usually I've, I found a few people that can just like go the whole way with me. But a lot of people, I lose them somewhere, you know, in between. But I, I just think that it's a. Uh, I think I, li- I like your approach. That's all I got to say, honestly. Yeah, it's it's funny because like I say so many anarchist thoughts to my coworker that he doesn't realize are anarchist. I mean, I think if you asked him, he probably thinks I'm a conservative because I don't push like what I do is I, I don't push back t- on him too much when he talks about Trump or when he talks about, you know, this or that Democrat that he doesn't like or whatever. I'll let him have that. And then I will kind of take it from his perspective and, and, and push these anarchist thoughts or push these anti-state thoughts, you know, and, and I've like, I've, I've gotten really good at um, explaining to him how corporations are the problem when he's, you know, a big right winger, you would think he's going to be all in support of the corporations. Of course, they're helping, helping me out themselves by being so woke these days, which um, most Republicans aren't a big fan of, but um I'm, I'm just kind of able to show him, um, you know, to follow the money. And, and, and that's not something that I think uh, Republicans were very good at before was following the money. So, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, as much complaining as they do about those goddamn Democrats spending all the money and sending us spiraling into debt. Uh, that was a, an arms race. It was like a, a good basketball game. That's a point apart that uh, scores a basket every damn time down the court where <laughs> Republicans didn't have any problem blowing those Democratic budgets out of the water when they're in there running things. Uh, and that maybe comes back to that ring analogy of like uh, this ultimate evil. But now that I have control of ultimate evil, it's it's also really powerful. So perhaps I can use it uh, to do some good in the meantime. But before you know it, you're you're one of the wraiths. You're screaming through somebody's television, stabbing hobbits. <laughs> My analogy got a little bit away from me there, but <laughs> it worked. It still worked. <laughs> Uh, well, hey, I really enjoyed this conversation. I, I think we've about wrapped uh, everything about COVID. We're kind of going on tangents at this point. Is there anything else you guys feel like we haven't covered you want to get into before we 
hit the end of this recording today. Give us I'm good, man. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I think I, I think I got everything out. <laughs> there goes this. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Damn it! I, I really hope that it's not um, this. <laughs> I really hope that it's not this um, system that I have you guys using. I don't know if you always have this problem on Zoom as well, but um, I hope that it's not the fault of the Zencaster that's uh, giving you this lag because I usually don't have this problem with it, but. Um, I do just, yeah, I, I want to say I do um, apologize because I know I did go off on some tangents a, f- a few times that weren't necessarily in line with uh, what uh, the original You, you sir, was. are on the wrong podcast to apologize for the tangents you have gone down. <laughs> uh, that's our number one criticism we get from our feedback here is, uh, could you guys pick a point maybe and, and just talk about that one for an hour? <laughs> so you're I'm you're on the, uh, we, we did jot out as one of the potential names at one point, my, me and my meandering friend was a, a potential user. So <laughs> we ended up with, <laughs> it gets the mob, but we ba- both perfectly understand our ability to uh, tangent off on random thoughts that we uh, like to articulate anyway. So don't you worry about that one bit. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got anything to plug over there, Duncan, tell our guys where to find you. Yeah, so um, of course I'm on Instagram. That's where I'm at most of the time at Break the State Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Dunk Limpman. That's D U N C L E M P M A N. I know it's a mouthful, <laughs> um, but also just you know check out BreakTheState.net. That's where you can find all my links and where you can listen to the podcast and all that good stuff. So. And go give him a like, guys. Give him a subscribe. Give him a rating, even if you thought he was terrible today. We're out here pushing the liberty <laughs> movement. Uh, we, we brought him on because we want these other voices to get in front of you guys to to show you all some other interesting podcasts and some other interesting ideas. And and hopefully, uh, if we're not the right flavor for you, maybe Mr. Dunk Limpman is. Uh, maybe Jamie Kane is over there uh, and, and our other half of the Sovereignty Network. But um, we do appreciate you coming on, Dunk, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I think we are planning an episode eventually where we're going to have Jamie Kane come in with this trio as well. Uh, hopefully when Matthew's at Starbucks with a little bit better internet. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to have a, a little freeform conversation there too with some of our favorite libertarian buddies spread across these United States. Awesome, man. Yeah, I, I definitely would love to get in on you know all four of us just going in on liberty. That'd be great. So be a good time we'll see who's got the most hot air in them and uh, who dominates the mic time the most <laughs> my money's on me if you guys couldn't tell <laughs> <laughs> all right guys i guess uh you got anything else over there matthew <laughs> dude no i'm <laughs> i'm seriously like half a i'm like i'm i'm like a full second behind you guys um and it's been, I don't know why, but it's super frustrating. No, I'll, I will just wrap us up and take us out. Thank you very much for listening to Against the Mob podcast. Again, it is Dunk Limpman from a Break the State podcast. Break the State, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter. I will put his, uh, I'll put direct links in our show notes. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter as well at Against the Mob. And remember, guys, we fight against the mob with people over politics. See you next week. <laughs>